Hello? This is Graphic Hello. Policy Radio. As we are all right, well little goof up on the beginning, but uh, we're good to go. So uh, we've got a special guest tonight, uh, but before we introduce him, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Good to be here. Cool. Uh, so uh, tonight we have uh, a really cool guest. Matt Boers is joining us to discuss his uh, Kickstarter. We're going to try to get you to eat more comics by the end of it. Uh, Matt is an editorial cartoonist and editor of The Nib and was working at Medium, uh, running it since 2013. In 2012, he was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and became the first alt-weekly cartoonist to win the was it her block? Uh, prize for excellence mm-hmm. in cartooning. Currently, he's running a Kickstarter to collect some of the best Political cartoons, comics journalism, and nonfiction and humor. Uh, in the um, book called Eat More Comics, you should definitely check it out, and we'll be uh, posting up the Kickstarter link in a few moments. So, welcome, Matt, to the show. Uh, really appreciate you joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, so, I, I thing that we always like to start with is um, how you started off in you know, cartooning, like, you know, was this something you always, something you kind of always wanted to do? Um, and then like, how did you get into like doing it professionally? Yeah. Yeah. Cartooning is, uh, I've always wanted to do cartooning or maybe been a cartoonist, just not a professional one. Uh, and really never had any other goal other than to be professional cartoonist, just the kind of professional cartoonist I wanted to be sort of, Slowly shifted over time. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to pencil X Men, and then uh, in high school, I wanted to do like indie comics for Fantagraphics or whatever. And then um, in college, I was like 19, I think, and uh, when the 9/11 attacks happened, and then two years later, we were, uh, you know, about to invade Iraq, and that's when I started doing political cartoons for the uh, my school newspaper at the time, and then just started submitting them to newspapers. Uh, so I never really saw myself as being a political cartoonist before that. I, I, like I didn't follow them and, and aspire to do it. But then once I got into it, I got really into it and just didn't want to do anything else for a while. Huh. What was it that like really kind of you know, that got you got into it about like, what was it that really drew you in about political cartoons? You know, I don't got it. I should be able to answer this better than I probably am going to because, you know, I never really followed editorial cartooning or, like, strips. So I was just, like, never that into that form of cartooning at all until, I guess, until, like, I had something to say that was short and pithy and or funny. Um, and I just got really into, like, the like the all-weekly style of cartooning, like, multiple panels and multiple jokes and kind of, like, more wordy than just doing, like, illustrative single panels um it just a, it just the sense of humor of it and the style of that type of work just appealed to me a lot interesting i i, funny because I, I think of your political i mean you know i i know your work as being political work and i would never have guessed that that wasn't a piece that sort of came along first in your art um, because you know so much and you've got such an astute eye for, you know, what's at the heart of things and the layers of bullshit that people put on top of it all. So, um, yeah, had I you, mean, had you, had you, I mean, no? I'm sorry, what was the last thing you said? I was just, had you been political prior to that? I mean, you just weren't thinking about applying it to comics or? Uh, no, not super political. I mean, I became pretty politicized by the uh, Iraq war, but then I was also like 19 at the time. So, you know, that's, and, and just starting college, so I mean, that's when a lot of people start to kind of, like, become an adult with political thoughts, I guess, uh, but I wasn't, like, super, I wasn't, like, a super political teenager or anything like that, um, 
it was definitely the Iraq war and like the post 9-11 landscape that kind of pushed me into just being like a lot more concerned about all the things that were going on. But, you know, it's like, a, uh, so I've always wanted to draw comics and, and I mentioned earlier, like I was, I used to do to X-Men and stuff. I mean, I would, you know, I, everybody knows me as a political cartoonist, but like, I'm still into that stuff. I mean, I would, I'd love to do like an image book someday or, you know, I'm, I don't, I just have kind of found my career in doing these political cartoons, but I mean, I have, I have kind of ambitions to do all sorts of different stuff. Oh, that's so cool. I, I can't even imagine, like, I, it's so, it'd be so different from what you've done so far. I, I am very intrigued at the prospect of what an actual, like, you know, full-length comic book of your work about something that wasn't straight up as the news might, might look like. That's very yeah. cool. Well, you know, I did, I did cool. one thing that, with, that sort of, like, points to what it looked like, which was a graphic novel called War is Boring that was written by David Axe. So I, I was just the illustrator on it, uh, and it was like relatively short. Um, and it's like nonfiction. I mean, it's like a, a memoir of him being a war correspondent. Uh, but you know, it's drawn in like a slightly more realistic style than I'm than are typically found in my cartoons. I mean, which is sort of more of how I would like to draw. I mean, I think that that's more of my natural drawing style. I had to like work for years to sort of like develop a more cartoony style. So. I can shift and I, and I don't get to shift between them that often because I don't do a lot of that type of work, but I'd like to, you know, there's just like, there's just mm. like 24 hours in a day. So, I mean, I got to do political cartoons then I'm with like running the nib and, you know, I can't do, unfortunately, can't do all the things I, uh, I want. Well, that's interesting. So what is the timeline? What, what is the kind of timeline that you work under when you're doing, you know, editorial cartoons, like political cartoons these days? Well, uh, I'm drawing one tonight that's due tonight, basically, or, or first thing in the morning for like the, my weekly papers. And I used to do three a week, and I just sort of have slowly gone down to one a week uh, with when I started at Medium in 2013 because I just couldn't handle the workload of doing all this stuff. So it's just, you know, doing one one editorial cartoon a week like I do doesn't take a ton of time. I mean, the drawing itself is like, you know, a day, but paying attention to news and writing and stuff adds to that. Uh, you know, I just, most of the time for the last two years, I've been editing the nib. And then now I'm like working full time on this Kickstarter. So I think when the Kickstarter is over, I'll actually get to take a little break. <laughs> How does like the, oh, I was going to say, I have one, one quick question before we get to the Kickstarter, which, discuss next like with the timing as far as um editorial cartoons like how how important is that as to be like really on top of what's going on right away you know if something were to happen tonight that would be big news like do you need to get it out tomorrow or you know can you sit on it for a couple days like you know, how does that yeah. factor into that all that well when i was doing three a week i used to care more about getting certain stuff on certain issues out faster. But I mean, I do one a week and it comes out like Monday is the day that I draw it. So, you know, it's just kind of like, I mean, right now I'm doing something about this, uh, this lion and fusel that got, you know, uh, capped. And that's like, you know, sort of last week. Uh, but I, I kind of don't care. I mean, I just like, I go with, it's a combination of like what I want to do, what I want to cover and what I have the best idea for. And, you know, being on top of the moment helps, but also I just feel like, you know, doing the best cartoon, like, I think people will like this, you know, it's like, you know, we haven't all, we haven't all forgotten about poor Cecil just yet. We have not, it's true. <laughs> when there's certain jokes, sorry, but just before that, when there's certain jokes that are kind of in the, not even jokes, but observations that are kind of in the zeitgeist, like right now, everybody's raising the point about how, you know, like like a number of like African American comedians I'm friendly with have been saying like, oh, I guess we all need to leave our house wearing lion costumes from now on, so that when we get shot by the police, someone will care. Um, like, how do you, as an editorial cartoonist, like look at stuff when it, people are already talking about it in some frames, and you don't want to just be, yeah, you don't want to make the joke that everybody's making, but it's also like so right on. Like, how do you handle that kind of thing? Yeah, because everybody is like. 
uh, busting out the jokes on Twitter. So usually like anything like that, you know, like that in a, in a previous world where Twitter didn't exist would just be like something that I did a cartoon on. But by the time I get a cartoon out, like so many people have made that joke and the tweet has been going around, you know, 10,000 times. And you, if you, uh, if you weren't aware of it, you'd basically just be accused of, you know, plagiarizing it or at the, at the, at best, just being just being lazy. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard because uh, you know all the takes. Um, by the time you get your take out, there's, there's ten thousand other takes out there. But I think you know when you're doing like a, a a comic that's typically in my case four panels and a lot of words. I mean, no one's coming up with that exact same combination of things. Uh, so you know when you have the illustrated element and and all of the, all that. It, it just sort of like insulates you from kind of like doubling up on what somebody else is doing. Uh, I mean, I think that's a problem that one panel cartoonists have a lot, especially like more traditional editorial cartooning is like, you know, there's so many of them double and triple and quadruple up on like nearly identical cartoons so often because of that. Yeah. And a lot of them aren't funny, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've, uh, <laughs> I've I've heaped plenty of criticism on on that type of uh, cartooning. I would love to see, and I think I feel like I've seen somebody do this. I would love to see somebody just do send ups of all the fucking awful New York Post cartoons. I I, I could have sworn I've seen someone on as a progressive cartoonist like do like a spoof of those. I don't. Well, I maybe don't not all not New York New York Post uh, in particular, but you I mean New York. You got to be aware of the onion cartoon, right? The fake onion cartoon. Oh yeah, those are definitely. That might be what I'm thinking of. Those are like those are great. I mean, but now it's like, Ward Sutton has been like penning those under the name Kelly for like now it's been like I don't even know how long like ten years. So they've been around, they've been around a while. Um, <laughs> and editor, you know, I think people who grew up online now are probably reading those and not even understanding what they're parodying because <laughs> they've been around so long. Because they've been spared the conservative media that would have exposed them to such a thing in the first place. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the little guys do it the same. I mean, they're not as atrocious in their message, but like the kind of like the visual tropes and like the terrible puns. I mean, the liberal guys do that too. Yeah, they're just not racist all the time. <laughs> I, I live in New York, so yeah. I'm just constantly subjected to like witnessing insanely racist New York Times. I'm sorry, uh, New York Post cartoons like on the TV screen. It's yeah. a traumatic moment for all of us. Although this actually goes with another thought, which I was having, which is that it's so the world that you're operating in, the editorial cartoon world, is so separate. It feels, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but so separate from the other parts of the comic world that like we normally are talking about on the show. Like, it's separate from comics journalism, it's separate from, like, you know, superhero comics, it's separate from all of that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, and most of the people who kind of take it up are not interested in in those other forms of cartooning. I mean, they don't, like, they don't want to do it, or they don't, they sort of, like, didn't grow up reading it. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why that is. I mean, I don't feel that way personally. Like, I mean, I read... Uh, editorial cartoons and comics journalism and like you know Batman comics, but um, I don't think a lot of editorial cartoon cartoonists are like really plugged into like the comics, the comics world. I mean, at least like the at least like the older generation of uh, of like mainstream cartooning. I mean, I think it's like a certain kind of I don't know. It appealed to a certain kind of person. I don't know what that person is, but like you know, like the dudes who wanted to draw kind of like the like the mole caricaturist style of cartooning with like the huge head and then like <laughs> draw a car going off a cliff and like just kind of like it's like a illustrative and not you know like they're not they just weren't interested in like sequential storytelling or I don't know what the difference is but they definitely are kind of like a separate breed of cartoonist like a very specific type of cartoonist yeah. Yeah. How do you think? Um, yeah. I was gonna say, how do you think the, the graphic journalism has affected political cartooning, or has it at all? Because um, when I think of the two, I really think they're almost intertwined nowadays. 
um, and they have so much in common yet, you know, they also seem so far apart. Yeah. I mean, like comics journalism has pretty much blown up might be too strong of a word, but I mean, uh, gained a lot of popularity and recognition in the last five years, 10 years. I mean, there weren't a ton of people doing it now. Now there's a lot, right? I, I think it's, um, it's sort of like one of the last genres to really be fully explored. And yeah, I mean, I see a ton of relation to editorial cartooning, but there's not a lot of people who, who do both. I mean, very few really. I mean, I just don't, there's not like really, there's not really a, that huge of a market for editorial cartooning to begin with. So not that there's a huge one for comics journalism, but you know, I just, I just don't know that, a lot of people in the last 10 years have been encouraged to uh, to take up political cartooning as a career. I mean, I'm sort of like, I'm in the AAC, which is the American Association of Editorial Cartoonists, and I'm sort of like the perennial youngest member. And I was, you know, I'm 31 now, and I was syndicated when I was 23, and I'm pretty much uh, been the youngest. I think I still am the youngest person there every year. You were know. syndicated when you were 23 is pretty damn impressive. Um, you know, to have been at that level in your game at that point that people recognized it and wanted your work everywhere. Uh, and any thoughts on how you were able to, you know, just make such a big impact in what people were reading and seeing and stuff like that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I think that work from that time was that good, but I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just sort of like incrementally got, you know, a client here, a client there, and just sort of like, build it up but you know I mean it kind of sounds impressive maybe to say you're syndicated but honestly these days it doesn't like it doesn't result in that much I mean I, I don't make very much money at all from syndication or from my editorial cartoon uh, so it's kind of like you know I, I, now I've been syndicated 10 years but it's like you don't it's not like you pick up a ton of clients like you used to and be in like 150 papers and make an additional 50 grand on top of your well-paying newspaper job that you have to begin with, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cool thing to be able to say, but, you know, it's, it's like a different world now. I mean, I don't have like a super expansive client list or anything. Because of the newspaper business changing what it's doing or? Yeah. I mean, there just isn't the type of market that used to exist. And I mean, even like my stuff is sort of more geared towards alt weeklies and that's where I started out, but I don't, I barely run in any alt weeklies anymore. So I don't, I don't even really consider myself, you know, an alt weekly cartoonist or, or, you know, I sort of am like splitting my clients between, uh, I mean, I think most people read me online now, you know, mm-hmm. I certainly know that I do. Um, and for me, one of the main places I usually saw your work was, through Daily Post, actually, and they were um, okay, yeah. putting a lot of a lot of your stuff in their Daily Digest. Uh, cool, yeah, I've been running there for uh, a good like a couple of years now. They're they're always been they were like one of the first websites to start paying for uh, one of the first political websites to start paying for a comic section because um, there was just like this point in time that was very different from this moment we're in now in media where there's just kind of like all this money uh, flying around and a lot of startups and a lot of sites that are kind of flush with cash. But there was this time when cartooning or editorial cartooning specifically was just like, it was just like no sites paying whatsoever. And I mean, that's changed a lot, but uh, Daily Coast I think, was the first site to really sort of bring together a, a section of people. Most of them I uh, ended up running on the nib too. That's that is probably a good way to move into that. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the nib. Um, you know, how did it actually start, and like, where did the idea of it uh, come about? Yeah. So uh, in the summer of 2013, um, I got in touch. A medium editor, Evan Hansen, got in touch with me and wanted me to do some work for them, and they were, um, you know paying for stuff and launching these like publications, which they called collections at the time. And not many people, like, I think they were even in beta at the time. They weren't even open to the public. And I, and he, he wanted me to do a comic for him. And I basically 
said, why don't you why don't you just hire me full time and I'll do work constantly and uh, get you a lot of traffic because I knew that they were paying writers and and uh, editors to do do these little publications and he said uh, to my surprise he was just like yeah okay and we, I mean it was like a really I mean he they like took like one phone call and they were gonna not hire me on staff but just like pay me a full time full time wage as a freelancer to work for him full time. And then I sort of pitched the idea of, well, if you give me a budget, then I can do even more for you and, you know, uh, build this comics publication around, like, the kind of stuff that I like that isn't really recognized or doesn't have, like, a home base um, anywhere or on the Internet. So, you know, that's, like, comics journalism, editorial cartoons, and just sort of, like, broad, more broadly, like, nonfiction comics. So you know, they were just a startup with... Uh, a good amount of money and really experimenting with different things at the time. And so they took a chance on me and it ended up working. Like the nib was one of the most popular things on the site. So they ended up hiring me and then I worked there till just, uh, just like last month or so. Well, uh, working at it, like what's the thing that really surprised you about that? I mean, there's been, there's some sites that, you know, aggregate, you know, uh, uh, cartoons uh mostly you know strip cartoons but i can't really think of anything that's you know quite like that that's been done before or at least not to that extent i mean so it had to been a learning experience doing it yeah i mean we were publishing a ton of stuff i mean they gave me a pretty decent budget and we were publishing like we created a lineup of like 15 or so people like web cartoonists and political cartoonists who were publishing you know weekly on different days and then we were doing big comic essays and comics journalism pieces, you know, once or twice a week. And, you know, it got so, it got to the point where it's like, I really needed more help to even manage it also. Eventually we hired a Larry Harris who was editing with me full time. And then this cartoonist, Matt Lipchansky, who's, who's really funny, who we were running his work. And then he was like doing our social media and all that stuff. So we're, you know, a little small publication. But one that a lot of people are reading. Yeah, I mean, I'm real, real happy with, with whatever you know, everything that we did. I mean, it was it was pretty big for a comics website, or or really just any website of the size that we were working with. Um, so now I'm, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it going. I want to find another another publisher to back it, or figure out some other way to uh, to keep it going. And so the Kickstarter for the book is sort of an in-between thing, like in between the next home. Yeah, you know, it was something I was planning on doing anyway. If you watch the Kickstarter video, it's like we're talking about how we work for Medium, and it's filmed in the Medium offices. And so it was, it was in the works for a while, and it just sort of like I was too busy to launch it. I wanted to do it at like the year mark, I'd do like one every year or something, but it just never got around to it. And then... So we were going to do it, we were slowly inching up to it, and then um, I decided to quit, like, whenever it was, a month ago, and I kind of ran, I ran some dates, and I was like, I'm supposed to be a special guest at uh, SPX in September, and which is September 19th, and I was like, you know, I got this window of, like, I, if I, I, I can have this book done, if I'm going to do it, I need it by SPX, and if I can, if I and have it by SPX, I got to launch a Kickstarter in like a day, basically. So we're on like a super tight schedule. Like the moment the Kickstarter ends, we're going to like, and the money is in my account, I'm going to like hit send to the printer and then we're going to like hopefully get these books shipped to, to SPX sometime. Okay, so you're, you're, te- you're telling me that I have to budget some money at SPX to get this? Yeah, yes, or you can uh, buy it. <laughs> or I could just do the Kickstarter. <laughs> Whatever, you know, I, I would urge you to buy the Kickstarter book because we're not, we haven't hit our goal yet, so I'm starting to get nervous. I mean, we're going we're gonna to make it, but it's like, it's a tight one. We're not, we, we, weren't, we didn't work like the people who like hit their goal in like two days. So we're still, we got like eight days left and we still need eight grand. So it's totally doable. It's just, uh, we're not there yet. So, what made you choose uh, Kickstarter as opposed to like Indiegogo or other places that like don't have the same kind of rules around raising it or losing it? 
Uh, I don't know. I didn't think too much about it other than that I did a Kickstarter before. Um, but I guess if I was thinking about it, if I don't get all the money, I don't want, I'm not, I can't make the book. So it doesn't matter. I don't want to keep the money if, if we don't hit the goal. Cause this is like, we're asking for 45,000, which is a fair amount, but it's not like, there's no profit is calculated into that. I mean, I'm paying all the artists again up front, so I don't have to pay them like after the fact. And it's a relatively small print run, like 2000 books. And it's going to be nice. It's like a hardcover with stitch binding, so the printing bill is like really high, and that's like that's what the money the money is going towards. So you know, if, it, if we don't hit it, then it's like, I mean, it's not it's not anything that's making me money. It's just sort of like a thing I want to exist to, to have like a record of the work that we did, and you know, hopefully there'll be there'll be more in the future or something. But for right now, it's just sort of something I, I want to make sure exists in the world. Gotcha. I I also just think that it being a Kickstarter gives it a sort of like confidence and dynamicness to it that the sort of GoFundMe kinds of things just don't have. Because like with Kickstarter, you're saying like this is going to be real or it's not going to be real, and it's up to you guys to kick in and make it happen. And like I think that that's I don't know that's a more powerful stance to take. I think. Yeah, well, I mean that's what you know basically this project. I mean if there's not enough people to support doing 2,000 copies of a nib book, then, then I definitely don't want to make one, you know? So this is the second Kickstarter you've done. Um, I actually, you know, for disclosure for everyone, because I know some people flip their shit about it, uh, I, I backed both the Eat More Comics and your, your original, The Life Begins at Corporation, or Incorporation. What did you learn from that first one that you did um, that you're applying to here? Um to hire some people to help me. <laughs> I, uh, that thing was crazy. Um, I mean, I had the book shipped to my house. I had 2,500 books at my house stacked to the ceilings in filling rooms. And I, I, well, at that point, then I did hire like a friend or two to come over and stuff envelopes all day. But, you know, I don't have the time or inclination to do that anymore. So I hooked up with the, uh, make, the make That Thing people from Zapotico, who do, like, Kickstarter fulfillment. Um, and then Alaria and Matt are helping me out a little bit on various Kickstarter stuff and organizing it. And then um, I got a designer, the same designer who did my book. She's at my house right now. Like, tonight we're actually putting most of the final touches on, on it because, uh, like I said, we gotta have we got to have it ready to go by the time, by the, time the campaign ends. And for folks who are listening live, we're about to tweet up the Kickstarter link. So go chip in your 35 bucks to get the hardcover. At least that's what I gave. Uh, but there's tons of options for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, why do that? Um, so, I mean, I, you know, you've, you've produced a lot of uh, different you know, comics on the nib, like how did you kind of um, figure out what you wanted to include in this book? Like, yeah, I, I imagine it was, you know, not the easiest decisions because you almost had like a uh, overflowing of quality. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's pretty tough. It's like, one, you know, we could have asked for less, less money if we did a smaller book. I mean, it's 300 pages. I felt like to call it the best of the nib I had to at least include the stuff that we have in there now I mean there's other things that kind of <clears throat> didn't make the cut and it's it's kind of tough to to not include people's pieces that were really good but there's just like it's just impossible to it's just we just had to make decisions about it so you know it's like we got a we got a good a good distribution I think of like personal essays comics journalism and then like the regular lineup of people like Gemma Corral and Tom Tomorrow and uh, Rich Stevens, you know, all have like four strips or whatever it is in there. Cool. Um, with the like, what? You know, where do you? I mean, part of the big thing with the with the nib was it took, I think, a lot of this editorial cartoons and, and put it in kind of in political and a little bit of, you know, uh, comics journalism and put it into kind of like one banner. 
um, online and something that just wasn't done in the past. Um, you know, how do you feel that technology as a whole has kind of like shifted the the entire you know landscape of of comics journalism at all? Like, if if it has or hasn't, you know, um, how has that really impacted you know how it all comes together? Well, you know, I mean, it's just I don't know. I mean, the the internet is constantly changing. I mean, now it's like I, I think one of the reasons why it was successful virtually is uh, a lot of people who are involved, you know, have large, large followings online. I mean, you know, Zach Wienersmith, Rich Stevens, Erica Mullen. I mean, these are people who, cartoonists, you know, don't typically work for publications anymore or they don't work for online publications anymore. So everybody, you know, building up their own audiences and crowdfunding and, and all that. So it's like, you know, writers, there's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of outlets that employ writers, not a lot that employ cartoonists. So, I mean, I just, you know, had this sort of theory that wasn't too radical that if you brought a bunch of uh, the best cartoonists together, that it actually result in like a large, uh, a large following. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's basically what happened. I mean, it's like we had to kind of really work the social media thing to, uh, to, to, to make that happen. I mean, we built up like a Facebook and, Twitter to have like a, you know, a decent amount of uh, followers and just sort of, I don't know, you know, that stuff's really important a lot. Uh, A lot of cartoonists don't like promoting. I mean, I wouldn't say I like it, but I'd say that I understand that it has to be done. But, you know, just like I spent a lot of the last two years sort of like thinking about online promotion and social media and platforms and distributing comics and stuff in ways that like I never did before. Uh, it was all good, and I learned a lot from it, but I also, like, sometimes just want to get back to, you know, drawing, drawing comics. Do, do you think there's a generational difference um, when it comes to that mm, for, for you, political cartoons? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if you came up before you had to do all this stuff, it's foreign to you or you, you know, are resistant to it or you just... I mean, some of the people that are that are working editorial cartoonists, I mean, still don't have to do all this stuff. They have jobs at, at newspapers, right? I mean, so, some people still do, and, they, and they're actually paid quite well. But if they lose that job, they're not going to be in too good a shape because they have, you know, basically no one's reading them online because um, they haven't spent any time in the last 15 years building up uh, a readership. Um, but, you know, I, I think it used to be a lot easier to get along in the world. Like, you would just send your send your cartoon to papers and they would pay you and you didn't have to like uh you know you didn't have to like make a twitter preview image uh that is like a certain size that displays in line and then make crop a different one for your facebook preview image so that like people are more inclined to click on it right like that doing that type of stuff is like new to a lot of cartoonists mm. it's new to most people period but Definitely, like, for people who are primarily doing visual work, you, you guys probably have higher standards of what a reasonable preview image looks like than what I might cobble together for something for the advocacy group I work for, for example. Yeah. Yeah, we spent a lot of time doing that stuff. I mean, Matt Lipchansky was, like, social media dude, and, you know, every comic, every day, we would we would crop, like, Facebook, Twitter preview images, send them to everybody, try to get them to post it, because it's just, like, you know, more people read your stuff if if they can see that. I mean, that's, everyone is looking at stuff on their phones now. And if you don't, if you aren't like playing to that, then you're just losing traffic. And I mean, you can kind of bemoan that that is the state of things and that everybody's on their phone all the time so that you have to constantly kind of figure a new thing out. But like, that's, that's where the audience is. Has that actually changed your writing at all or the, your, your creation of the cartoons? Uh, well, one thing we were doing at Medium uh, is, you know, we were like the first or one of the first sites uh, to to do responsive design with comics. So you mm-hmm. can look at like one of, one of my cartoons on a desktop and it's four panels, two up. And then on a phone, it's just they reassemble into a vertical column. And like that's so, I think that's like crucial. I mean, if you, it's in 2015, if you're pinching and zooming on your phone, it's like the design is bad. And mm-hmm. I, I think, like, with the way things are going, it's sort of, uh, 
like I think most comics, even even uh, most comics we ran, were still designed to be read in print, or they were designed for a, you know, a lot of the cartoonists. If they're doing a multiple page thing, it's like, well, they they want to be able to collect it later, so they you know they design it with pages in mind and stuff. But like the new, I think the new page is like the new A4 page is basically a phone. Um, I mean, it depends on what kind of comics you're doing, but certainly the type of comics that I'm doing. Um, I actually feel really restricted by the size that I work at for my weekly because it's it's dictated by um, by the print size I chose back in the day, and it has to. I can't I can't make it crazy long or scrolling or make make the panels bigger. I mean, I can do that for other stuff, but uh, so I I kind of have a lot of uh, kind of need to sort of experiment a little bit and you know. Whether I continue the nib or uh, not, which right now uh, that's the plan. You know, I want to do a little more of my own work and just in general try to kind of like design things to be read online instead of in print. That's great. It definitely makes a difference for reading. Um, and like physically, you know, for people with with different like people with vision issues or for me, I have like issues with my hands and stuff, like, the less I have to, to mess with things to be able to, to enjoy them, the more traffic you're going to get. It's just a fact. Um, but I like the yeah. description of the web being the new page A4. That's 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 very yeah, true to I mean, me as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, most people are... I mean, that's one of the reasons why there's so much content everywhere, you know, which I've kind of like acquiesced to calling comics content now because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a content creator and not a cartoonist, <laughs> I guess. But I mean, I used to hate that, but now I'm just like, whatever, I, I do content for the internet. Um, you know, people are just reading, people are reading more online than ever because of their phones because they're like in their car or on the bus or whatever. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing all the time, so what everybody else is doing, you know, looking at it, looking at it in bed, looking at it when you're asleep, I'm constantly looking at my phone. Yeah. yeah. We need to, I need to cut down on that. <laughs> I know. I look at it right when I wake up. It's crazy. Yeah. Take it into the bathroom. Oh, actually, should, I just wanted to ask, like, when you were started developing your own style, you know, I mean, who really were your inspirations? both in terms of, like, visual and in terms of the approach to cartooning? Uh, you know, visually, I don't even... Man, I don't even know who I'd say, because it's, like, it came from so many different places and then, like, kind of slowly morphed. And like I was saying, I was drawn in a more realistic style, and then once I started doing political cartoons, kind of worked on simplifying it over a couple of years. But, you know, my earliest influences, like Jim Lee and Image Comics, I mean, I love that stuff. Um, I used to just copy that stuff constantly. You know, I, one person, um, and maybe maybe you could see influences in my work. Is I was really into Dankoff for a while, and like his the eight ball stuff was like uh, really revelatory for me in high school. Mm. Like I loved that stuff. Um, and then a lot of the all weekly guys uh, were were really influential stylistically, or, or like you know form. Form, formally or uh, writing-wise, not not the visual style, but like you know, people like Tom Tomorrow and David Reese, Get Your War On, and all those all those uh, that kind of like generation of uh, all weekly cartoonists, Durf, all those people. Like they all they all have really idiosyncratic styles. So I mean, I don't think that I really pulled from any of them visually, but like just that style of cartooning, really, I really love that stuff. I can see the clown thing in terms of the uh, facial yeah. expressions, actually. Yeah, that might be there, you know? I actually can see that. Um, but yeah, I think that, like, what, what what made you decide to develop a more cartoony style when you were beginning to do political cartoons? Was it to, like, keep within, like, those designs of the genre, or was it because that's, like, how you're able to get work done in that kind of a timeline? Or Yeah, all that. I mean, it's just sort of, like, efficiency, right? Like, efficiency of line for one, time, 
You know, I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know, uh, I can't be drawing strips like uh, Robert Crumb and like, scratching away for hours on a panel of shaders. That just seems, <laughs> that seems crazy. I don't know how anyone ever had that time. I mean, I think it, I think there's probably uh, an economic thing in there, too, because, like, a lot, nobody draws like that anymore. I mean, younger cartoonists, web cartoonists, they all have super simplified styles. That might just be, like, a trend of what they're inspired by, but I think it's also probably, like, so hard to make money doing cartoons. You can't like you can't spend like twelve hours on the panel. It's just crazy. Um, the other thing though is that I think uh, you know just drawing political cartoons super realistically. I mean, sounds boring to me. You know, like just a, a more cartoony style is just it's just relatable. It's more likely to you know you can do funny facial expressions. I mean, it just lends itself to humor better. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> Do you think there's a, a slight tradition to it? I mean, even going back to, I'm thinking, political cartoons of the 1800s, um, that they all have this kind of exaggerated look to themselves, and then you kind of go into, like, Mad Magazine, of course, was exaggerated, and it almost seems like a tradition when it comes to those, you know, that the cartoon satire and political cartoons, that things are exaggerated and not realistic. Yeah, for sure. Though I think like the old old stuff is it's not like drawn photorealistically, but it's 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 that really like you know, like Thomas Nast. I mean it's like that Yeah. Hyper hyper rendered uh yeah. cross hatching stuff that's like meticulously done because they were like you know that was just how you drew back then and uh, you know, they had like they had to like he had to draw all that and then some some poor guy, actually, like a team of poor guys, had to engrave that stuff on like steel plate, <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, so you know, they probably would have saved themselves a lot of time as well. Um, drawing a lot simpler. I don't know that you know. Gotcha. Is there? Yeah, you know, have you given thought with? Uh, I mean, a lot of there's there's been a lot of talk with uh, you know the use of technology in cartoons and, and comics of things like the idea of the infinite comic where you can just keep on adding on and on and on. Um, have you been kind of thinking of like how you could use technology to kind of like shake up the typical um, uh, pattern or layout of cartoons like beyond having it uh, responsive? Yeah, sure. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. The inf- I mean, an infinite comic that you add on to and never ends and is infinite sounds uh, sounds like a very good thing I don't want to do ever. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what, what it's going to look like. But, I mean, media in general is going through, like, huge shift right now. And, yeah, I don't I mean, I, like I said, I kind of want to experiment more with... Um, cartoons that are made for phones are made for just like now we're moving towards like the platform, you know, world of publishing on platforms. I mean, that's what, you know, my job at medium in part was about. It's like they're, they're creating this publishing platform that they want publishers to use. And Facebook, you know, wants that now with, uh, you know, major outlets or publishing stuff on these platforms. And so like now, I don't know if that's going to last either, but that's like, that's where everything is headed. So it's like, you got to create stuff that works works on them, whatever, whatever the platform is. I mean, like Twitter, you know, like obviously Twitter is the easiest to, to describe because it has certain, certain limitations. But I even think that like, so if, uh, like there's a cool thing you can do on Twitter, like, um, you know, you can stack four images now into a tweet and then it will display in line, like a certain, uh, a certain amount of each, of each preview image. So you can sort of like you can know the dimensions and the calculations and like there's a, there's a couple outlets who have done some cool stuff with stats. So it's like you'll see the tweet and it'll be like 40%. You'll see four images and they'll say like 40%, 20%, whatever, whatever. And then you you open it up and then you see the rest of the images and it's talking about like the details behind those numbers and what it is even about. But like I don't want to mess around with cartoons like that. You know, like that's like juice. Twitter-specific cartoons and phone-specific cartoons and Facebook-specific cartoons. I need someone to pay me to do it, though, because I don't have a job right now. So I don't just, I don't just want to sit at home. But, like, that is, but that's, like, that is, like, the future staff job position, though, right? Like, it's, 
if you used to be a staff cartoonist for a newspaper, you would just do something for a hole in a paper that was yours every day. But now it's like different. Like if you were a staff cartoonist, if you were the if I if I get the nib started up again, which I want to do, and I hire a staff cartoonist who's like political cartoonist, let's say, it's like I'm gonna want them to do that. What I was just saying, you know, like stuff that's specifically for Twitter and, and works with like those forums and stuff. Like that stuff interests me a lot. It's just also that how do you make money doing that? Because if you just posting stuff on Twitter, you're not necessarily making money. So you gotta have someone you gotta have someone paying you. But I still think formally it's super interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Um and I, I gotta imagine that you you're kinda going how far into it of like maybe the next step of the nib um, are you, you know, have you thought about maybe platforms or looked into revenue and kind of like at least thought about that sort of stuff, like maybe Patreon or, or Patreon, however you pronounce it, um, or something yeah, like that you know, nature? I of, yeah, I have thought about that, Patreon, but I mean, honestly, I want to, I don't want to do everything myself. I don't want to have to hustle to that degree. I want, I'm, I'm talking to a couple places about back in it in the way that Medium was and basically relaunching. I mean, the, the URL, nib.com, I own, and I own the nib, obviously. So, you know, I would, that would be, that would be ideal, like actually getting a publisher to back it so that I don't have to be the publisher and the cartoonist and the editor because it's like, it takes a lot to run, to run a whole website. So looking for uh, third party support right now, and that looks very promising. I would, think that, you know, things go well in the fall or at the very, very uh, latest, or that's the beginning of next year, that we could relaunch. Um, but, you know, that's not, that's not certain either. So it's like, I'm just, uh, I'm just trying right now. And if, it, if that doesn't work out, you know, we might go the Patreon route. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I want to do. I want to do like, a, obviously, I want it to be a website and, you know, be designed to be read on online and on phones and everything. But I mean, I also don't think that print is like a crazy, a crazy idea either. And, you know, I want to do, I, I would love to do a quarterly magazine. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I have all sorts of ideas. It's just going to be a, a question of, you know, if I can get some people to put up some money to allow, to allow me to try these things or, you know, how many of them I can experiment with and do on my own and have time to do. Cool. I'll throw it out there. Cool. Vox. <clears throat> What's that? Say it again, Brett. I said, I said I'll throw it out there and just say Vox. It'd be an awesome fit. Yeah. Uh, Especially technology. <laughs> yeah, uh, they'd be. They would. They would. They would. I'll go yell at some people there. I've got some friends there. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. So do you have any, I know that, you know, you're, because you're the, you've been the editor and you're curating things. Um, we probably know a lot of the comics, you know, the cartoonists who you think are great, who we should be reading. But I was wondering if there were some folks maybe who haven't gotten much attention that you think that, you know, we should all be checking out their work more folks who we haven't worked with or heard of yet. Uh, yeah, let me think. I mean, a lot of the people I work with, you know, I mean, I guess it just depends on who you've been paying attention to, if you know them or not. I mean, it's just like someone like Gemma Carell, I don't, you know, I think she's, she's pretty popular. I don't know if you, if you know her work, but I think she's like hilarious. I mean, she's not even a political cartoonist. She just does the funniest stuff on earth. She's doing like the cover and the back cover for the book. Um, Matt LeChancy, who I worked with is, uh, is really good. I like his stuff a lot. Like he's kind of, I don't know how long he's been cartooning, but um, he, uh, I, you know, he he does like great stuff, and I got him. I was getting him at the nib to kind of do some more political stuff. Um, and I've actually been writing writing comics with him uh, lately. Some of the stuff I've been putting out is like co-written by him. Um, you know, there's there's some uh, there's some cartoonists I was working with um, towards the end. I did this thing called the Response, which was like an offshoot of the nib. Um, which it's sort of hard to explain, but basically we were we were doing some experimenting at Medium, and I was like, 
started this new publication, and it was called The Response, and it was basically cartoonists of color kind of talking about race, obviously, but all, you know, gender, uh, whatever, whatever they, whatever they wanted to talk about, really. So, uh, I worked with a couple of cartoonists there who were pretty young and starting out, like, uh, uh, Chris, uh, Kindred and Richie Pope and Shannon Wright, who are all friends, I think. And, um, they're working on, they're still actually working on something for me that hasn't been published yet for medium. Um, it's like a collaborative comic uh, discussion thing, so that'll be out. But they've all done like individual things for me that I think are really good, and I think they're they're in their early twenties, so they kind of uh, I'm excited to see what type of work they end up doing. Great, great. Um, I love the piece that, um, for the response that Ron Wimberly did. He's he's been on the show before. He's awesome. But that that particular piece was like amazing. Yeah, yeah, Ron is Ron is great. I mean, he's just like a, a super a super talented cartoonist. I mean, I would love to see more nonfiction stuff from him. Like his, the stuff that he did for us is was you know I think some of the best stuff that we published. Um, his essay on you know coloring coloring comics and the dispute that he had kind of with Marvel and his thoughts about it is definitely one that I was one of the first you know choices to be in the book. Yeah, it's definitely something that we haven't seen elsewhere. Like, it's a question that I've asked a lot, and I've never really felt like I've gotten an answer about. You mean that type of work in general? No, no, I'm sorry, the particular content is his cartoon. Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, around, like, the pressures of, of how you're being told to color characters based on race and stuff like that when you're doing stuff for the big publishers, so... Definitely, like, you're doing something that was getting people to, like, open up. Yeah, you know, I just don't, I don't think there was, like, a, there wasn't really, like, a venue for that type of stuff before. Because if you have a, if you have a comic essay about race, (laughs) you know, I mean, there's not, I don't know that there was a a ton of outlets before. Although I think that with socially conscious stuff, like, sometimes, you know, there's, like, we're seeing more sites run it. I mean, even, like, Upworthy runs a pretty decent amount of comics, or they used to. They sort of have changed what they're doing lately. I don't know what they're up to, but for a while, they were running comics pretty regularly. They were running mid stuff. I think they probably ran Ron's comics. Um, so, you know, I think uh, there are other places, maybe now, um, but hopefully that we had a part in, you know, bringing uh, awareness to it, but I think that there's, like, more outlets now where that type of work can run. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like, you know, I guess comic books, uh, what are you reading these days that folks should be checking out? <laughs> what am I reading? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't read a ton of comic books. I'm reread, I'm reading the new, ba- that new Batman run with Scott Snyder. That's good. I mean, but that's not like anything that no one's heard of. I'm rereading or reading hundred bullets, that, that old series. Because I, uh, mm. I only read like the first first couple trades on it um, before. I don't, you know, I don't have a lot. I don't, uh, I don't get to read as much. I'm always working. I don't know. I don't have, I don't have any like, you know, recommendations that no one's heard of. I'm reading, I'm reading Batman. That's like everyone's heard of that, right? Um, I got, I got just stacks. <laughs> we stacks, have stacks of, Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I need recommendations. Actually, I should ask you what I should be reading because uh, I don't know. I don't keep up on. Comic, you know, mainstream comics, especially as much as I'd like to. This well, is a good uh, question. Yeah. You you go, uh, Alana. I'm gonna actually go and hit, uh, hit up Twitter to see if they have uh, suggestions. Oh my gosh! Well, I, you know, the 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 question of what should I be reading is always answered by what are the kinds of things you like to read. Um, we do have opportunity I'm going to use to uh, promote graphic policy's website a weekly um, a weekly uh, like list that all the contributors chip in for on um, of what comics we recommend folks should be reading and that yeah. is a great place to find out about new titles 
I should read um, that. And uh, should, if anyone, should go, I should add. I should add my Batman to that and let people know about the Batman book. Well, you could certainly make the case of why, for example, why would somebody want to read that in particular? Um, but and I, I would love to know because I certainly haven't been reading it. I've been uh, absent from most of the big main titles, even though I read a ton of superhero stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to make like a super strong case for it. It's it's pretty good as far as uh, books like that go, but um, I think Greg Capullo is like an amazing storyteller. Like he's just, I, I would read anything that he drew. So it, the art on that is. Yeah, Dart is amazing for that run. Um, it's probably one of the most solid, consistent runs of any series, and the fact that they've done it for oh, really up to 40-something issues at this point. 42, 43 issues is, like, really impressive. Um, I'd recommend it. I, I think it's, it's a fantastic run. And you don't need to know Batman to read it. I think that's one of the other things that are really, really strong. Um of of political, the one I'm going to suggest is actually out this week. There's a graphic novel. I don't know if it was produced before, but it's called The Bowery Boys that I'm like fascinated by, and it's all about like Tammany Hall and union busting, and oh, being cool. being, yeah. being produced by Dark Horse of everything, which just doesn't yeah. quite seem to fit. But that one's actually really really cool. Cool. I have not heard about that, so I might I might have to check that out. I don't know how accurate it is. I this I'm supposed to do an interview, and this is like uh, the big questions I have. I because I just don't know that history super well, and yeah. at least the details. So it's one of those things like it deals with a lot of like anti-Semitism and things about the Irish, and yeah, I've, it's it it's really a fascinating read. I'm always telling people to read Wicked Plus the Divine because um, it's amazing. It's pretty much universally okay. beloved, um, and it's you know something that you can read without having any other context. You know, it's not something oh, that yeah. you know it's something that depends on reading anything else or even having any particular pop culture knowledge. Even though it deals you don't with have to know uh, you don't have to know what you don't have to know what Crisis on Infinite Earth is. No, well, who was in the, fact, who was the first? <laughs> you don't know, have to know who who was the first. Greenland or nothing. Um, <laughs> no, I did just I did just think of uh, the uh, one uh, I read the first two trades of Sex Criminals recently, and that book is that book is great. Yeah, it is. It is, and the art is really strong on that too. Yeah, I think they're making are they they making a TV show of it or something. Yeah, it was optioned. Uh, I don't know if going to be made into a yeah. TV show, but it's optioned. Seems right, like right. everything is being optioned now. <laughs> Image, everything yeah. from Image is being optioned, including things that I can't fathom how the hell they'd be a TV show. But, you know, God willing, that'd be a good one. I just... Yeah. See, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong field, for sure. Can't <laughs> option. Can't they option, can't option a cartoon. No. Well, no. here's the good question. No. If you could do a comic, like, what, what type would you do? Would you go for, like, a superhero or just kind of, like, a weird... I don't even know what you'd call them. The, yeah, like, well, what, what comic would you like to do? You know, I think uh, eventually I'd like to do all sorts of kinds of comics. I mean, it depends on what happens with my career. But, like, I mean, first and foremost, I'm really interested in, you know, doing more long-form comics journalism and nonfiction stuff myself. Uh, that was originally my plan, and I just sort of, like, fell into editing it more. And then those were the gigs that were paying me at the NIB and then prior to that, this place called Cartoon Movement. So I ended up editing it and not really having time to do my own. So, uh, you know, it's been sort of something that I want to do, uh, you know, stuff online or maybe something that uh, would come to a, a book length work. But I mean, I, I would, I would do, uh, I would do superhero book for sure. I mean, I, you know, I still want to, uh, I still want to pencil the X-Men, of course. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know that a guy like me ever gets to do that type of stuff, but I mean, it, it does have an appeal to me. Like, in some in some world where I got to do everything I wanted to do, I would definitely um, I would definitely draw some mainstream comics. Cool. Yeah, I, I can't. You know, I I think that like 
there's so many different kinds of work happening right now that I, I can't imagine somebody wanting to really just limit and close themselves into one particular corner if they don't have to. Yeah, I mean, I like the, you know, I like doing the weekly political cartoon, um, and I'll probably always do it, but it's not like the only thing I want to do. With your actually uh, speaking of like a weekly thing, so you have your your email list um, that kind of came out. Uh, I don't know if it came out of the Kickstarter or was yeah, you know, existed so. before Kickstarter. Yeah. So, yeah. How does that? Yeah, you know, is that on your mind for you know having to put together uh, comics to get out, or um, you know, is that impacted at all like your production? No, I just uh, whatever I have, I send out to the mailing list, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I was, I think the mailing list maybe would be more exciting in a world where I was just like only working on my own stuff, so I would have more, more to send out to it. But, you know, it's kind of, since I got the job at Medium, I didn't really, I didn't really promote it. So it's just sort of like the people who are on there now are on there. And, you know, it's a a paid thing. So it's like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to, I'm going to continue it, but I don't know whether to like promote it, be like a paid thing or or what. I don't know. One of the things I'll probably be figuring out in the next couple months. Fair enough. Um, so we're kind of coming up in our hour. Um, is there, you know, obviously you've got the nib, you got um, the Kickstarter, and we're going to tweet up the link a few more times. Um, how, what would you like to promote um, for those who are listening? Just that Kickstarter, man. I need eight, I need eight grand by next Wednesday. Somebody help me. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm promoting. That's the only thing I've been doing is nib stuff. Uh, and the only thing I got going on right now. And, uh, you know, like I said, I feel, feel like it's going to get made, but we're not, we're not in the clear yet. So, uh, that's, that's what I'm promoting and stop for the next seven days. Cool. Uh, and if people want to follow you, um, how can they get a hold of you and where can they follow you online? Um, Matt Boars on everything. Matt Boars on Twitter, Matt Boars on Tumblr. Easy to find. That's how we do it, too. We're Graphic Policy on Tumblr. We're GraphicPolicy.com. We're Graphic Policy yeah. on Twitter. Exactly. It's like very easy. Mind. Very easy. I even, yeah, I think it's, it's uh, no, anyway, I was going to, never mind. Uh, well, cool. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm gonna tweet up uh, the link and then uh, get the post up or the uh, archive up and promote it some more and see if we can get you that eight grand. Um, yeah, we'll, cool. We're gonna make it a goal. We have eight days, yeah. eight thousand dollars. Appreciate it, and then I'll see you at uh, at SPX, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll definitely sure. be there. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. Yeah, where I will be a special guest with the newly printed book that uh, hit its fixed article in seven <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us again. Uh, we really appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. Yep. Well, that was interesting. Um, we don't yeah. usually have have uh, political cartoonists, so it's always kind of a fun thing to be out of our wheelhouse a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely something like I. It's funny. It's out of all the political cartoonists, I read Matt's. Like that's that, and partially is because yeah. I'm on his on his email list. Email list, <laughs> you get to see it. Yeah, like I said, like for me, it's really Daily Coast was how I found a lot of it myself, and um, you know, also he agrees with me, and I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps that should have been a question I should have asked. How did you get to come to develop all of your various correct opinions that you share with me, which makes us so so astute? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, well, we have 
another show next week and we've got another guest do you would you like to say who it is oh wow next week is next week genevieve valentine from catwoman will be joining us to talk about catwoman um and we will also be joined by frequent guest and co-conspirator emma hubois who is a huge catwoman aficionado and is the person responsible for getting me to start catching up on that book so Yes, it's it should be fun. Um, definitely for folks um, who haven't re- been, been reading Catwoman, they should absolutely check it out. It's been really, really cool in a very interesting and different direction. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's been neat. Uh, and for those who want to support the Nib and eat more comics, you can go to Kickstarter, and I'm pretty sure if you just search for Eat More Comics, you'll be able to find it, or you can go and check us out on Twitter and I'm going to tweet up the link a few more times. Uh, well, at least once tonight and then a few more times when we uh, post the archive of the episode. So um, you'll have a couple of different ways of finding it. So they've got about oh, yeah. 8,000 to go in eight days and they'll, they, we can definitely make this happen. Um, and just a quick reminder to people that we are downloadable on iTunes yes. and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, and for those who need links of that, you can also find that link at our site, Graphic Policy, graphicpolicy.com. Uh, we make it nice and convenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I think that's about it for the episode. We're keeping it right about an hour, which is rare for us. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's about it uh, on, on our end. Is there mm-hmm. anything else you would like to discuss? Um, no, I mean, this has been really the week that Marvel imploded, but I look forward to reading Brett's thoughtful essay about oh, what all of that means. Um, yeah. Rather than just I, stunning I'm working. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on that. Uh, so far, I've got the title of Dear Marvel, and it's basically a uh, letter like you'd write a pseudo breakup letter or um, intervention letter. Yes, and I think that's important. So, guys, yes. you've been wondering what what are our thoughts about the recent Marvel messed upness with regards to diversity, and you will soon be able to read that. You're very oh, cool. it's coming! Yeah, it it's going to hit this week. I just got back from Gen Con, and I'm basically fried. So it's a whole bunch of notes and the general outline, but I actually have to string coherent sentences together um, that don't involve rolling dice and all that other stuff uh so yeah that, that'll be this <laughs> <week>. <laughs> great great thanks guys yes yeah so uh folks thanks for uh listening i was about to say thanks for watching uh thanks for listening you can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com of course we're on facebook twitter youtube well pretty much everywhere at graphic policy uh, we keep it consistent until next week i'm brett and i'm ilana Thanks for listening and keep it geeky.